Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Good morning and welcome to Exchange Church. I have the privilege to bring you a message today. And we're going to go on a journey. We're going to Athens and we're going to be following Paul. Now, Paul was a Christian apologist. Now, when I first heard the word apologist as I was growing up to be a Christian, I was thinking, what does this mean? Someone's apologising for being a Christian? No, it doesn't mean that. It means a defender of the faith, someone who is actually defending the word of God and proclaiming the word of God. And that's what Paul does. He is a fantastic example of being an apologist. Now, we're specifically going to go to a place called Mars Hill. Now, this is a place whereby he preaches to the intellects of his days. But first, I just want to share you a story I'm going to step behind here. I just want to come and share you a story. This story is a personal story. It's about a person. He lives in New Zealand. He's been on mission trips with my family, with my children, and he's been so committed to the word of God. And he has a passion, had a passion for God. But something happened where it all fell away and he lost his faith totally. There was many conversations I had with him. We shared resources but something happened. Now, I've been in correspondence with him just recently, and he's given me permission to be able to share some of this correspondence. And just for the sake of privacy, I'm going to call his name John. Now, John has a couple of children, and he's also now a vice principal of a school. He is a mathematician, he is very intelligent, and he sees things very logical. Now, let's just share a couple of things he has said, and this is about him losing his faith. I got to the point where I couldn't reconcile what I grew up with as the truth of the Bible and the love of the Saviour God who sent his son to die for us with what I saw in the world. Once that peace fell away, it all fell away. For me, it was exceptionally hard to come to terms with as what I'd grown up with knowing was the truth, I could no longer believe in. I earnestly grappled with it as I wanted to believe. But the more I wrestled with it, the further I ended up away. The reality is I know the scriptures inside and out from an intellectual perspective. I know what they say word for word in many places. I just don't believe anymore. And no amount of willing myself to believe worked. So I am where I am. And as you have previously said, due to my stubbornness, unlikely to move at any great knots from this position. John is an intellectual. He sees things from a very intellectual perspective and he ended up on Mars Hill. And this is where we're going today. Mars Hill, where Paul deals with the intellects. Let's just open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity now to be able to open your word. And Lord, I do pray for not my words, but your words to come. Lord, I pray for the authority that you have given us through the scriptures that will speak into people's hearts. 
Lord, I pray for the Spirit to now sit where everyone is now in their lives, convicting anything that needs to be challenged today. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity we have all to commune as we are as a church. This is different and difficult times, but we are a church and we are under the authority of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. So, Lord, we just ask a blessing upon this word today in your name. Amen. Okay, who am I focusing on today? Who am I wanting to talk to? Basically, there's two different people I want to talk to. The first is a person pretending to be a Christian. A bit like John. The second person is a person who has intellectualized away Christianity. Other words, we have no interest in it because I can intellectualize it away. If that's you, you need to really listen and stay tuned today. I want to show a photo. We're just going to put up a photo. Now, this is a photo at Mars Hill. My daughter took this photo on her first mission trip when she was 16. And it was quite significant to her to stand there on Mars Hill. It is but a rubble these days. Now, Athens is an intellectual capital of the world. In Paul's day, it was a hive of human philosophy and intellect. It was a place of worship of false gods and it was really a melting point of discussion on religion and of the law. Let's now join Paul's journey as we speak one of the most powerful sermons that he has given. We're going to read Acts 17, 22 to 23. Starting at 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Eurapicus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Just lost my point for a second. And he made for every nation, mankind, all face the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of the poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like God or silver or stone, an image formed by an altar, an imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands 
all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, we're just going to do an overview now and this is just an overview as where Paul is declaring the truth and he's then letting the spirit work He is not there arguing with them, but rather he is there to present the gospel, to present the word and let the spirit do the work. Paul is just laying it before them. Paul was a mechanism that God used to be able to bring the word to them. It was then up to the spirit to do the work in the lives of these people. Now, does this work all the time? Well, actually it does. It always accomplishes what God's purpose is. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God speaks forth into people's lives, irregardless whether they accept it or reject it. They cannot escape it, but they respond to it one way or another. Now, the question is, does it always bring a person to faith? Well, the answer is no, it doesn't. Ephesians 4.18 says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness within their heart. Due to the hardness within their heart. To some people... The gospel message hardens people's hearts. It's not what we want. We desperately want them to be able to hear the truth, the words, and to come into the salvation of of a life with Jesus Christ. But to some people, their hearts are just hardened. The key point I want to be able to get across here at the moment is that when the word of God is delivered, when the gospel message is shared, it always does as God intended. Don't be discouraged when you deliver the word and you think they haven't responded how I'd like them to respond. Don't let that discourage you. We don't know what the work of God is happening in a person's life. Often it can be a path. I look at my own path as far as when I became a Christian. There was a journey whereby there was impact along the way and then there was this point where, wait a minute, I was actually hit like a hammer and I responded. Now, in the scripture today, Paul is firstly plain spoken, bold and confrontive. He is confident and he wasn't trying to win people over, but rather he was focused on delivering the truth with clarity. When we witness to people, we don't aim to please people with our words. We aim to deliver the message with clarity and in the power that God has given us through his word and his spirit. Our prayer is not our words, but rather God's words. Now, sometimes people do push back strongly and this results This can result in a conviction on a person's life and they feel convicted and they push back hardly. But don't read that, that it's a waste. Read that, that God is working in that person's life. The proper focus for us is to be loving in the way we share the gospel. Christ is returning to judge the world. 
But he first came in love to call people to him. And that's what we're wanting to do in love is to call people to him. Remembering it's the gospel message which is the stumbling block where people struggle to get over. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. People struggle with the actual gospel message in, under, in wanting to get over it. Now, let's start diving into these verses, starting with Acts 17, verses 22 to 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropicus. Okay, what's the Oropicus? The Oropicus means hill on Aries. Now, in Roman, when Romans came in, they renamed that. Ares actually means is a Greek god of thunder and war. And when the Romans came in, they renamed that to Mars Hill, as Mars represents their god of thunder and war. So this is how it got its name of Mars Hill. Let's continue reading. He said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now Paul's background is one of being a Greek, a very intelligent Greek. As far as, sorry, a Jew where he was a, he understood the Greek language. So he was a Jew that had full comprehension of the Greek language where he could intellectually deal with and talk with those people on Mars Hill. Paul spoke to the intellects and he was actually asked to bring forth what he was saying when he was in Athens. So he approached them. Now, in New Testament times, the Oropicus or Mars Hill was a place only that had authority over religion and moral issues. Previously in history, it was also a court there for their laws. But at this time when Paul was there, it was dealing with religion and moral issues. So let's just have a quick reflection on the culture of Athens. First off, at the time... They embraced everything of the world. It was a godless culture which embraced many false gods. I actually call it godless because they didn't know God, but they embraced so many false gods. They prided themselves on philosophy and intellects. Materialistically, they were totally sold out to it and they were totally void of anything of God. Now, Paul, he comes in and he actually makes a beeline straight to the heart of the problem. He actually just goes smack, bang, and hits them. So you don't know God. I'm here to tell you about the unknown God, the God that you don't know about. They truly worshipped wisdom, knowledge, materialism, and they had it all wrapped up into mysticism. It really sounds a lot like our society these days. Now, Paul, he's coming to preach on the unknown God, which they do not know. Let's continue reading. Acts seventeen twenty four. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now, Paul has just attacked their intellectual belief. 
First, he's saying there is only one God who created everything and the God rules over everything. But by declaring that God does not live in their temples, Paul is declaring they are all false gods. He has just come straight in. Now, Paul starts off with a basic theology, which is very radical to the Greeks. First off, God is the creator, made the world and everything in it. This is where all truth starts. Our society today has evolution as the creation God that it follows. Once again, not that much more different. Still a false God. You don't build your house from the roof down. You build it from the foundation up. And the foundation which we can build on is that God is the creator and he is the foundation of truth. Paul affirms the authority of God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And Paul is challenging their beliefs. And here is where he's coming in on. Man is not in charge. Now, it might sound simplistic, but think about it. Man is not in charge. Isn't that our society today? Everything about it is man is in charge. Intellectual pride says, I am okay. I am in control. I have no need for God. My wisdom is all that I need. I know best. Intellectual pride says, I am the God of my own destiny. This is exactly what the Greeks were professing. Paul is standing in Athens telling the most intellectual people of their day that God is not anywhere in where they're worshipping. Let's just read on the Acts 17, 25 to 26. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the earth or the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Paul has just affirmed, firstly, the sufficiency of God. He needs nothing. Secondly, the sovereignty of God. God is in full control. The power of God created everything. And the giver and the sustainer of all life that we have. By his grace, we have been given life. Once again, Paul has just hit the Greeks at the center of their false beliefs. All of this they did not accept. Let's continue reading verses 27 to 28. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul is actually quoting two different poets here, and it was poets of the Greeks' historical writings, which they knew. I think it was about 600 BC that these poets. But why does Paul bring these poetry writings from the Greeks? And it's basically to continually confront their false belief, and that is that there is a single God. I'll just refresh on that. In him we live and move and have our being. 
This is from the Greek poets. And the second part is, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul was showing that they are dealing with not just a person that doesn't know things. Paul was an intellect Jew. He had understanding of the Greek culture and he was coming as a peer to express to them, I am aware of your writings. I can talk to you as a peer. Let's continue reading. Verses 29 to 31. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul has just declared the gospel truth. After demolishing their intellectual belief system, he has now revealed the truth of God and that God wants to save them. But what is he calling them to do? I want to home in on verse 30 on one word, and that is repentance. Intellectual pride produces a hardened heart which rejects repentance. Listen to this message. When you're listening here, you might be responding and having now a hardened heart to God. That's the word of God that is being impacted on you. And what I'm encouraging to do is to recognize what's going on. Or you might have realized that you have been a false Christian in that you haven't got a real relationship with Christ and that you have had a hardened heart in having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why are people unable to repent? What holds people back? Often the cost is too high, self-deceived in their own intellect, or they're after short-term gain in the things of the world, which is far more important. Let's just go for a sprint. I'm just going to sprint over a whole lot of scriptures. Go for a run with me. Acts 2, 38 declares, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 2 has John the Baptist calling out, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17, From the time of Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Ezekiel 18, 43, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Mark 1, 15, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke 5, 32, I've come to the call, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the list goes on and on. There is a theme within the word of God. It's calling us to repent. Now, the, the word repent can be defined in the dictionary as sincere regret or remorse. Biblical repentance is so much more deeper than that. Now, I'm naturally just going to read some of my notes directly so I get this correct. 
But what I want to do is expand on repentance. Repentance is recognizing that our sin is offensive to God. Repentance can be shallow, such as the remorse we feel or fear of punishment like Cain. Or it can be deep, such as realizing how much our sins cost Jesus Christ and how his saving grace washes us clean. Words in the Bible like turn, return, turn away and seek are used in the Bible to express the idea of repentance. And it's issuing a, 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 a it's just issuing us an invitation to repent. The prophetic call of repentance. This is something I really want you to get across because often the understanding of repentance can be the wrong understanding. The prophetic call of repentance is a loving cry for men and women to return to dependence on God. Let me read that again. The prophetic call for repentance is a loving cry for men and women to return to dependence on God. Now, I just want to emphasize this a little bit more. Repentance is often seen as something I have to give up, where it is actually a call of love for dependency on God. Repentance is also an action in which our thoughts, actions and deeds are deliberately transformed as we grow closer to a loving relationship with our Lord. The invitation to repent is a call to absolute surrender to the will and purposes of God. It means to turn to the Lord and live in constant awareness of him. Being a Christian 24-7, not a Sunday morning Christian, Jesus issued a radical call to all people saying, unless you repent, you will perish. That's from Luke 13.3. Unless you repent, you will perish. Repentance is an essential part of our salvation, requiring a turn away from a sin-ruled life which becomes a life characterized by obedience to God. The Holy Spirit leads a person to repentance. Now, I need to emphasize a point here, and it's very important I clarify something, and that is repentance itself cannot be seen as a good work that adds to our salvation. There is nothing we can do that can add to our salvation. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ in what he did on the cross We can do nothing to add to that. He completed it fully. So let's go back to Paul. What happened with Paul's message when he called out for repentance? Let's read on verses 32 to 34. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus, the Arachapite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. So some people mocked him. 
Obviously, their hearts were hardened. Others did repent. And as we read, they joined with Paul on his mission journeys. So what were the main points in Paul's sermon? First, there's the introduction. He gave evidence of the ignorance of their pagan worship. And that was they worshipped the unknown God. Why did they have an unknown God? Because they didn't want to offend a God they didn't know. They would have a God for every reason. Then Paul showed the created God as the one true worship. That's verses 24 to 25. Then Paul explained the proper relationship between humanity and God in that God gives us everything, including our breath. Paul then exposed the objects of the false worship as the idols of silver, gold and stone. And then Paul's conclusion was the time for ignorance is over. It's finished. Now is the call for repentance. And that's what I'm coming to you today with to say the time for ignorance is over. It's a call that God is calling out to you to repent, to come into a relationship with him. Now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And there are many reasons we can put off as far as saying, I'll worry about that later. No, the call is today for you. Returning now back to John as I was talking with in New Zealand, John was has confronted his faith with total honesty. He was, what you could have seen was, he was a Christian, no doubts, and then all of a sudden his faith was gone. The reality was he wasn't a Christian. He has discovered he had no faith. He had an intellectual relationship only. John was pretending to be a Christian. John was also self-deceived for years. But did he go out of his way to do that? Not at all. Personally, we've visited his family in New Zealand and understanding his relationship, he has a huge love for his parents who are Christian. And I believe what was driving his falseness in relationship was his great love for his parents because he wanted to please them. But then he realised he had no faith. My prayer is that God hasn't finished with John yet. And yes, he's going to be listening to this message. And I just want to really challenge you, John, as you listen to this and also the others. John's story is still ongoing. Spiritually, his false faith has been stripped away, just like what Paul did in Athens. He stripped away their false faith and then he brought the true living God in their presence. John refuses to let go of his intellectual pride and accept Christ as his Lord and Saviour. John has now a hardened heart towards Christ and John is stubborn and strong-willed and he knows that. Oh, excuse me. While his heart remains hardened, there is going to be no relationship with Christ. So what's the simple answer for John? John, repent. Paul is saying, intellectually, we can know of God. Okay? We can intellectualize God the God of the Bible. We can intellectualize it. And it's okay for all of us to ponder and intellectualize things. But with no repentance, there's going to be no relationship 
in entering into with Christ. Where does this leave you? You're listening to this message. Where is your relationship with Christ today? Do you have a saving faith that is characterised by repentance? My conclusion is simple today. When I last spoke, I had a very simple conclusion to get across, and that was Christ is first. Nothing but the blood of Jesus will take away your sins. Today's message, I have another simple concept to get across. Repent. Repentance is a call out to both believers and non-believers. Remember the words of the Lord again with Luke 13.3. Unless you repent, you will perish. But just remember, Christ came in love to call us to repentance. He didn't come with a stick. He came to show us God. He came to us to call us to repentance in love. One final thought to reinforce, and I've said this a couple of times, the prophetic call for repentance is a loving cry for men and women to return to dependence on God. If your spirit is stirred today, please make contact with us. Info at exchangechurch.org.au is an email contact. But then there are many of you within Exchange Church that have Todd's, Pastor Todd's direct mobile. He will take any call, any time to talk about this with you. We can go away and say that was a nice message. Or we can repent. I can come across with strong words or motivate you with um, the way of presenting it, but it's not about the presentation. It's about the word of God. It's about the call that Jesus is giving each one of us to repent. Does this challenge me? Yes, it does. I pray that this will also challenge you. Repent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. We thank you for the opportunity to follow Paul to Athens, to follow him to Mars Hill, to see how he stripped away the false religion and then he brought in the true and living God. And then there was a call for repentance. And yes, it did fall on some hardened hearts, but there were people out there that responded. And Lord, I pray now as we are broadcasting, as we have people listening to this message, that this doesn't fall on hardened hearts, but rather hearts that are softened by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for your spirit now to speak to people's lives. 
Lord, this message is not just for John to be able to, for his heart to be softened to you, to repent, to repent from his arrogance and his self-pride and his, um, just his surety. Lord, I just pray just for him that you will break the foundations that he has built up so that he can build the right foundations of you as the creator of the universe. But I also pray for everyone that's listening to this message now, that, Lord, now is the day of repentance. Now is the day to turn back to you. Now is the day to get into a right relationship with you. So, Lord, as people are in their homes now, I just pray for the Spirit to challenge them. And, Lord, it might be just a quiet challenge and they mightn't feel comfortable talking to them about this, but I do encourage, ring Todd if they want to talk about something that's happening within their spirit. And, of course, they can ring myself. Lord, we thank you for this time and as we now are moving into a time of communion, Lord, may this communion be something that's very powerful in that we're recognising you on the cross for the life that you gave so that we could have life. Lord, we praise you as the loving, loving, loving Lord. In your name, amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.